0: Amen. Good morning, Awaken crew. We are glad to have you here this morning. And uh, before we dive in, I'm going to put on my announcer hat and run through a couple things as we plan for the coming few weeks. Next week, first off, we're going to be launching a series that we've entitled Seeing 4D. And it's a series that's oriented around helping us understand how to tackle some of the most difficult challenges and issues facing the church today, helping the church understand how to handle tough issues like divorce, depression, doubt, and death. And I want to encourage you over the course of this series to invite people that you know that you have in your life who aren't connected to church And have them involved and be a part of this series. To come with you to be a part of this series. And I know, it seems like a series that's designed to help Christians better understand how to tackle tough issues. Why in the world would we want to bring someone who's not a part of church to be a part of this series? And the reason is because I want them to listen in. There is this perception that the church... And by extension, God doesn't have anything to offer when it comes to tough situations besides platitudes and in, oh, I'll pray for you. And our goal with this series is to say, no, that is not true at all. And we wanna offer both tools and hope. And that's something that we believe is much needed, not simply amongst our people, amongst Christians but also those who've lost faith in the church. And so please, start praying about whom God might want to have you invite to this series starting next week. Secondly, most of you all know that as a church, we're approaching our 10-year anniversary. It's coming up actually in uh, less than uh, two weeks We're approaching our 10th birthday, and one of the things that we have decided to do is on Saturday night, so a bit less than two weeks from now, on September 15th, we're inviting you to join in our birthday party here at Awakened Church that night. So starting from 6 p.m., we're going to have literally a birthday party, and during that time, there's going to be games, there's going to be pictures and slideshows, there's going to be gifts and awesome dinner. And if my wife has her way, have some dancing as well. There are also going to be some formalities. We're going to take some time to look back on what God has done over the course of these past 10 years. So for those of you who've been with us that entire time, it would be reminiscing. For those of you who were newer and weren't, it's a chance to experience a bit of our history together. And I hope... That you guys are not only excited about being invited, but planning to join us during that time. And, of course, not only are we going to take a few moments to talk about our past and our history and what God has done, but we're also going to be looking forward. And as we're looking forward, we're going to be dreaming together about the future, what God has got for us. And we're gonna be talking about some new initiatives that we're praying by grace, Deo Valente, that God will lead us into over the course of the next few years. So, every one of you and everyone who's a part of Awaken is invited, encouraged, challenged, be there, join, right? It'll be, there is a cost, it's $5 a person. If you can't, Tackle that for whatever reason, it's all good. Just show up and we'll cover it for you. Uh, up to $20 for family. So if you have a family of 20, it's okay. It's 20 bucks. So it's all, all good. And the dress uh, is, is snappy casual. I have no idea what snappy casual meant. I'm like, Andrew, tell me what this means. It's like, It's like if you're going on a second date with someone you want to have a third date with. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So that's snappy casual. So I had to put my shorts and a t-shirt back in the drawer. So... Enough announcements for me. Last week I had the opportunity to share with you all that we're embarking on a two-week series that we entitled Starting A New. And this short two-week series before we launch Seeing 4D next week has been for those of you who are facing a new opportunity, enduring a new trial, starting a new relationship, embarking on a new endeavor right now. And In addition to that, if you feel like I don't necessarily fall into that category, you might want to pay attention anyway because you will be in that category soon because our church is going to be heading in that direction. And where we began last week is with an understanding that oftentimes what God is doing in the midst of new opportunities, new circumstances, new relationships, and new challenges is that he is working on us and in us first. In other words, from God's perspective, when we're facing these new things, what God is primarily concerned with is how, with these new things, is how we are being refined, how these new things are causing us to become more like Christ. And so last week, what we shared is there are two processes that God tends to use to invite us and to conform us into the image of Christ in the process of change and the process of transformation, and they are not the same thing. Change is what we enact. Change is the, going to be the result of our work, of our initiative, our, of our discipline, of our intentionality. So in other words, we can enact change in our spiritual lives by disciplining ourselves to spend more time with God in reading his word, in prayer, seeking him out, uh, going out and sharing the gospel. We will become more like Christ, right? Right? When we choose, instead of acting the way that we grew up, when we make the decision, the conscious, intentional decision to choose instead to act in love, compassion, faith, and joy, we will also become more Christ-like. Intentionality, discipline, and work does to some degree, produce godly change in our lives. And the scripture is filled with passages that focus on what that change looks like for us and what areas we are to be disciplined and intentional in. But, as we shared before, if change is the only thing that we rely on to become more Christ-like, then what's gonna happen is we're gonna end up exhausted, disillusioned, thinking that this Christian faith is all about the effort we put in, and that is certainly not true. And that's why there's the process of transformation as well. Transformation is not change, change we enact. Transformation is the result of our yielding and submission to the will of God. Transformation is oftentimes at God's discretion. We simply need to prepare ourselves to receive it. And so transformation happens when we surrender our pride and experience the grace that God wants to give to the humble. Transformation happens when we renounce our selfishness and our anxiety in order to receive the peace of God which transcends all understanding and so on and so forth. And we can tell the difference in our lives because the things that we are putting effort into is going to result in change. The things that we're surrendering, submitting and saying, okay, God, have your way is going to result in transformation. So these two pieces Change, transformation. These two processes are the means by which we become more like Christ, and that's where we ended last week. This week, I want to take you into another space. It's uh, into an insightful passage found in the book of James, a passage that shares with its readers how we are to approach the future. A passage that teaches us how what is the right way. To approach new situations, new circumstances, new trials, new opportunities, and even new relationships. So I'm gonna read the entire passage first, and then we're gonna break it down piece by piece. And the passage is found in the book of James, chapter four. And this is how it begins Look here, you who say, Today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. I added the part. So what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. This is uh, this passage here is a story about you. It's not a parable, right? A parable is usually told from a third party perspective, designed to teach some deep moral lesson. This is not. A parable. What James has written here is a a a kind of imagine if, imagine when, talking about a specifically addressing a situation that you will someday face, you will inevitably face. And it starts with, "Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we will stay there a year, we will do business there and make." prophet. So, someday in the future, you're going to make a plan, and you're going to do all the things that we typically do when we make a plan. We'll pull out our calendars, we'll pull out our maps, we'll pull out our schedules, and we're going to decide to do something. We're going to decide to go somewhere. We're going to decide to meet a certain someone, And more than that, what James is saying here is when the reason why we're going to do something, go somewhere, meet a certain someone is for our profit. In other words, James is like, I'm not talking about you planning for a vacation here. That's not the situation that this passage is addressing. It's talking about when we make plans to do something, go somewhere, meet someone that's specifically designed to benefit us in some way, shape, or form. The reason for us making these plans is for our profit, our benefit, for our good. And that brings us to James's concern. And the reason why he's writing this passage is he's saying the mistake that many Christians make when they're planning their future this way is they make plans for the future in a godless way. And what happens or what that mistake means is that whenever we make these future plans, right, these plans that are going to be for our profit, for our good, and not include God, that is godless planning. We're planning for our future success, and not including God in the conversation—that is the situation that James says that all of you should be careful of, because you're going to face a situation like that at some point in your future. You're going to make plans, or be tempted to make plans, and not include God for your success, and not include God in that conversation. You know, in the Bible, the God uh, God calls atheists fools. Uh, I. I don't say it. God says it, right? In the book of Psalms, chapter 14, verse 1, God says in the scriptures, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. They're corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. So anyone who believes in their heart that God does not exist is a fool. I'm not saying it. God is saying it. That is what this passage is saying. But I want to share with you something. Do you know what is worse than a corrupt fool who says there is no God? That something worse is a person who says there is a God but doesn't act like it. That's worse. The audience, and that is the audience that James is targeting in this story. He's saying, you know, I know there are some of you who are starting anew. Planning to tackle something new, entering into a new relationship, planning a new adventure, seizing a new opportunity, entering into a new trial or test or temptation, and the way that you're doing it is you're choosing to confront it, seize it, whatever it is you're doing it, without taking God into account at all. And that attitude was what James is saying here is an attitude of arrogance. It's one of conceit. I shared earlier that God calls atheists corrupt fools. Well, let me tell you what God calls those who are being conceited. In the book of Proverbs, who claim that, who I say, I believe God exists, but then chooses not to act like it. In the book of Proverbs 26, verse 12, there is one thing worse than a fool, and that is a man who is conceited. Now, I understand, I don't feel like I'm I'm not trying to rip all of you because uh I know that I've done this before in the past. I kind of made some plans for my good without necessary including God in the conversation or, or maybe more practically for us, it's like gone before God and said, Lord, here are my plans. Please bless what I'm doing. Or the way it comes across is this is what I want, Lord, or this is what I want to do, Lord. Please give me success. In other words, we're taking our plans and moving forward on them and just saying, oh God, yeah, why don't you come alongside and just bless what I have decided to do for my good for my success, and that's how it looks, and this is what James is saying, don't do that, because when you do, you're being conceited, don't be conceited, James 4, verse 14, the next verse, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow, your life is like the morning fog, it's here a little while, and then, phew, it's gone, I did the again, so anyway, that's how you're going to read that verse, I'm not. So your life is like the morning fog. The Greek word here is artmis, it's it's or atmos, it's where kind of the word atmosphere comes from. Surprise, surprise. God is saying this is the nature of your life. It's like the morning mist, right? There's a transiency to your life, it's temporary. Your life is not permanent. This, your life here on this earth, right, is not permanent. It's not for any of us. And more importantly, it can be taken from you at any time, at any moment. Your life is not only transient like a fog. There's literally a heartbeat that separates you from heaven or from hell. And that truth, acknowledging that truth, will change everything about how you see life and how you live life. If we understand that our lives are transient and can be taken from us at any time, that means you don't have the luxury of taking tomorrow for granted. Tomorrow is not promised to you. If tomorrow comes for you, it is because God wills it to do so and not because you have chosen it to be. Verse 15, what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Now, I know, some of us are like, is it really that simple? It's like, all right, as we make in these plans, it's like, all right, Lord, if this is what you want then we believe it's going to happen. Is it really that simple? And if it is, is it really that big a deal, right? Is is James teaching us that every single time when we plan or think about the future, we need to say, if the Lord wants us to, then we will do, is that what the big deal is? And the answer is yes, it is. God holds our lives and our future in his hands. Acknowledge that. Trust in him. Thank him. Depend on him. This is what God wants of us. And if you do, what you will discover is God will give you the strength you need to endure today. But God will not give you tomorrow's strength today. It's like when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt and they were wandering in the desert. What did God give them to eat? He gave them manna. But what manna did he give them? He gave them manna for the day. He gave them food for the day. Aside from the Sabbath day, he did not give them food tomorrow for the day. And in the same way, God wants us to be daily, moment by moment, dependent upon him. And so the attitude James is cultivating in us is saying, God has promised for those who are his children to give you enough strength to endure the day. But some of us want more than that. Some of us want the strength to endure tomorrow as well. And the way we do it is start getting anxious about tomorrow, worrying about tomorrow, thinking, oh my gosh, I'm getting overwhelmed by tomorrow. In other words, we want tomorrow's strength today. And God says, that's not what I'm going to give you. That's not what I promised you. And when that's what your expectation is, you're being presumptuous. You might not even have tomorrow. Why are you laying upon yourself that extra burden today? If you try to live tomorrow today, you're going to end up overburdened, overloaded, and overwhelmed. But when you attempt, whenever you attempt, right, to live on our timeline and on our own plan, separated from God, what we are claiming is we are claiming to have more strength and more ability than we actually have. That is presumptuous. And what James is warning us against in these passages, he's saying, don't be presumptuous. Don't assume upon yourself more strength, more ability, more capability than you actually have. Your life is in my hands even if you choose not to acknowledge it. And so there's a phrase I want to teach you all right now that maybe will help you on this one. of that phrase is deo valente. I want you to say that with me. Deo valente. All right, you got to do better than that. We're going to do it again. Deo valente. Deo valente. Deo valente. Deo valente is a Latin term that means God willing. So I will go and meet some new friends at school tomorrow, deo valente, right? That's a way to, tomorrow I'm going to go to that job interview, and I'm going to get that job, deo valente, right? It's a way of saying, God willing, these things might happen. This is how James is saying, I want you to approach New beginnings. This is how James says, I want you to approach your tomorrows. James is encouraging the saints to be ever mindful of God's presence and to never forget that he is the one who holds our future. So don't be conceited and don't be presumptuous. James 4, 17, the last verse. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. How many of you have ever imagined that if God would just tell me his will for my life, I would be totally satisfied? I wouldn't have to ask him for anything else. Just God, just tell me what you want for me, of me, and that is sufficient, right? And we just think everything would be perfect, And I thought that, and maybe you have too. And what James is saying with this passage, with this verse, is that that is not going to be enough. It is not enough to simply know God's will for your life. In fact, knowing God's will for your life will inevitably come with a cost. If you know God's will, then you have to obey it. Immediately, right? If God tells you what he wants of you, then his expectation is that we are obeying in that moment. And so what James is sharing here is that if you know God's will and then you do not obey it, then for you, that is sin. That's a scary idea, that we are spiritually responsible For what we know. In other words, if you continue to read the Bible and you continue attending church, then inevitably God is going to expose you to more and more of his will. And what you know, what you learn, you are now responsible for living out. Because if you do not, God will hold that against you. Now, I'm not saying, so some of you, the clever ones, might be thinking, oh, well, then maybe I should stop reading or stop going to church, so I'm not going to be held accountable for more stuff. Well, you know that that's what you're supposed to do, so that would be violation right there, right? I mean, come on, it's it's catch-22 here that God's got you in. So I'm not saying that God's telling you to stop reading the Bible or stop attending church so that you can claim ignorance, because, again, if that is what you're doing, then you know what you ought to do. You are choosing not to do it, then you are ignorant. In sin, God will hold you accountable, and the idea that James is communicating here is that you are not only accountable for the sins you commit, but you are also accountable for the righteousness you omit doing. So, Some would call that the sin of procrastination. What is procrastination? Procrastination is the act of delaying or postponing something you know you ought to do. That's the definition of procrastination. So it happens when we say, Lord, I know what you want from me or want of me, and one of these days I'm going to do it. How many times has the sin of procrastination harmed your life? Maybe some of you in here, so I'll start with the married couples and families. Maybe some of you here have marriages. They're in a rocky place because you neglected to do him to do her good. And I know it can be easy to think, I'm I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. I don't beat my wife. I don't beat up my kids. I don't abuse them. I don't yell or scream at them much anymore. I don't scream and yell at my kids. And maybe you don't, but have you been gentle with your wife? Have you loved her the way that she is needed to be loved? Have you honored your husband? Have you guys loved and nurtured your children? Have you disciplined them in love? It's not just what you haven't done, it's or what you've you've kept yourself from doing. It's also the things that the righteous things that you have not chosen to do as well. You know, marriage requires constant cultivation and constant care, right? You're choosing not to do that means you're sinning against them. Or maybe, so I'm not married, I'm not in a family, and so what does that mean for you? Well, maybe uh, an example is I have, uh, I have a lot of unrighteous thoughts. My thoughts just run crazy. I keep thinking bad things. Pastor, I struggle with my thoughts all the time. They're constantly negative, and I can't stop thinking bad things. So what do I need to do? What does obedience look like for me? Obedience is think good thoughts. That's simple, right? If you've got bad thoughts filling your mind, start thinking good thoughts. You know what's really interesting about how God works and how God has made us? We are not capable of thinking two thoughts at the same time. Some of you might want to test me on this. So if you're one of those rebellious folks, start just thinking in your head and say in your head yes or no and yes, I'm sorry, no and yes at the same time, right? You can't do it. Can you do it? can't do it. I'm trying to do it. It won't work, right? No, yes. Say them at the same time in your head. You satisfied? You can't think. God has made us in a way that you cannot think two thoughts at the same time. So if you're struggling with having bad thoughts, the answer is really very simple. Focus on good things. And this is what the scriptures teach us in Philippians 4. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. So if I'm struggling and I'm having negative thoughts all the time, God's solution is very simple. Start thinking good thoughts. Fix your thoughts on good things, and you won't have room to have bad ones, right? Simple solution, difficult to execute, I understand and admit. So I can go on and share more examples, but you start, you understand the point, right? Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So we need to wrap up. And as we do so, I want to summarize where we've come over the course of the past two weeks. So for those of you who are in the midst of starting anew in some way, shape, or form, there are two key messages I've wanted to plant deeply in you over the course of these two weeks. Weeks. The first is to realize new things happen to shape us and make us more like Christ. That is what new things, new opportunities, new trials, new relationships tend to do. And the process by which this happens is often through the process of change or the process of transformation, and knowing the difference will be the key to cooperating with God's work in your life. I love this passage found in the book of Peter, 1 Peter where God shares, as obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. Isn't that amazing to imagine this idea that let let yourself be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, right? Conformed to the image of Christ. God said, I am holy, you be holy. So, These new things happen to shape us and make us more like Christ through the process of change and transformation. That's the first thing I wanted to instill and plant in you. The second is that the way we approach new situations, the way we approach new circumstances, the way we approach new trials and new opportunities and new relationships, deo valente, as God wills. Don't be conceited, don't be presumptuous and don't procrastinate keep center or keep god at the center of all you plan and all you do do what god tells you the moment he tells you to do it and then you'll experience his blessing and his success in the book of isaiah there's a beautiful passage it was written to the people of god to remind them that God is a God who continues to reveal himself in new circumstances, new trials, new opportunities, and new relationships. And I thought it'd be a great way to close out our morning. And uh, this is what God shares with his people. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, I am the Lord. Who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already Begun. Do you not see it? That's exciting. That's something we should all embrace. Amen. Amen. Let's close. Well, we thank you so much for this morning and the opportunity to spend just a couple weeks thinking about preparing ourselves for new things to come and to realize that when these new things come, there is much about your wanting to do something in us as much as it's about the circumstance, situation, trial, or relationship itself, God. Lord, we come before you and we confess that we are fragile beings. We're like mist and dust. And God, the only reason why we have the promise of tomorrow is because you hold our lives in your hands. Thank you that the only reason why we have any permanency to our lives is because you've given us your son, who is, through his death, burial, and resurrection, given us new life, given us eternal life with you. And so, God, we thank you that we can walk forward in this life with confidence, knowing that you have saved us, you've redeemed us, you live in us, you dwell in us, and you are for us. And Lord, here in this passage of James that we went through this morning, the only thing that James is calling us to do in light of that truth is to not forget, to not take that for granted, to not be conceited and start going back to our old habits of planning life without you or apart from you or separate from you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't. That our eyes would continuously, moment by moment, be fixed, maybe even fixated, on you, O Lord Jesus, and that you would be our satisfaction, that you would be our joy, our hope, our resurrection, and that whatever new things we are facing, we can face with confidence and joy and peace because we know that you are with us, God. We love you so much. We're so thankful and grateful for all that you have done and continue to do on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.